when it comes to love, and especially the sexual part of love, does it just naturally happen? Is it something that our bodies do with our brain not being involved, like it's just animalistic? Or is the brain a major portion of that? Actually, it's the biggest portion of all. Because everything that happens sexually actually is occurring in the brain. You might be thinking, no, 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 that's not true. But let's see if we can convince you that it is. Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Beam with Image International. Welcome to Relationship Radio. I'm here at Kimberly Holmes, our CEO. And we'll be talking about how the brain and the things, the chemicals in the brain, affect both love and sex. Mm-hmm. Now, my friend, Brian Alexander, who I think may still be the sexploration columnist from MSNBC, has written several books. And a couple of three years ago, he contacted me and told me about this particular author he was working with to co-write a book about how that brain chemicals affect the things that we do, and particularly how they affect what we do, how we operate, how we we react, etc., when it comes to matters such as love and sex. So, Kimberly, in your master's study and in your doctoral PhD studies, do you guys talk about this much? We've talked about it a little bit in my in the doctorate of psychology, not at all in my master's program, mm-hmm. but it's something that I've taken a personal interest in as well. So as much as I wish I was a neuroscientist, I am not. <laughs> so keep that in mind as we talk about this. We're going to talk about it from a very easy to understand human level, and it may not be completely, perfectly, humanistically accurate of how it happens in our bodies, but the We'll get close. We'll get close. It's good enough for our purposes today. (laughs) In other words, this will be in layman terms. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it just is really fascinating how much we are not aware of how the chemicals in our body are driving our behaviors Mm -hmm. more than our conscious decisions Mm -hmm. are. So that's why I believe this would be this is a very pertinent topic for relationship mm-hmm. radio. Sometimes you hear people talk about things such as love at first sight. The second I saw her, mm-hmm. I was in love with her. If the other person has the same reaction when they first see you, we call that chemistry. Why? Because it's chemical. <laughs> it means that the very sight of that person, and we can look into all kinds of substructures here, but the very sight of that person actually triggers certain chemicals in your brain that attract you to that person. And so that's what people sometimes refer to as love at first sight, because it can be overpowering, extremely Mm -hmm. strong. And like I said, if it happens with both, if it had at the same time, then you have two people that come together. And the next thing you know, we're madly in love with each other. We've only known each other for seven hours, but we are madly in love with each other. And it really has to do with brain chemicals. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. So specifically in that type of situation, so when you're first meeting someone, the brain chemicals that I know of that are highly involved in this process are going to be dopamine because dopamine for the terms of our podcast, what the way to think about it is it is the anticipation chemical. So a lot of people call it the pleasure chemical. It's not actually the pleasure chemical because once you get what you're seeking, the dopamine goes away. So that's why it's something, you're in a constant need of seeking it. It's this, and that's why it's all about anticipation. Because once you get it, the dopamine goes away and you have to anticipate something else. So dopamine is definitely going to be involved in this. But I also believe that the male and female hormones are going to be involved in this. Because, especially when you're talking about first attraction to someone, Mm -hmm. especially if it's in person, then there's going to be, from the studies that I've seen, 
certain parts of a woman's menstrual cycle where she's more attractive to a man with higher testosterone Mm -hmm. and a man's testosterone levels, which can lead to uh, pheromones and things that Mm -hmm. can be of interest to a woman. Yeah. And they actually tried to capture that with some of the perfumes and stuff a few years ago, but that kind of died out, it seems. I mean, people don't talk a lot about that anymore. (laughs) So a lot of things are happening that are not operating in the conscious part of our brain. It's being driven back there. And we know that if if two people begin to touch each other, now touching Mm -hmm. can sometimes be by words. Meaning I'm saying words that you find very encouraging to you that, mm-hmm. that lead you to feel warm about me. Then those very words can start releasing oxytocin into mm-hmm. the system. And if we hold hands, more oxytocin released into the system. If we hug each other, more oxytocin, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the greatest amount of oxytocin released into the body occurs at childbirth. So if a woman has a baby, the chemical that starts the labor is oxytocin, this very strong bonding chemical, because that's what oxytocin does. It actually bonds. And if you think, well, why would that be the chemical that that starts labor? Well, having watched my uh, wife deliver our children, I think it should be a bonding chemical because I saw the pain she went through to deliver those children. And and I think the oxytocin makes her want to hug the child rather than beat the child up for hurting her like (laughs) it just did. And so oxytocin is bonding. But other than at childbirth, the, the greatest release of oxytocin in a human being, male or female, is at orgasm. And it goes in, into the body in two different ways. It goes into the bloodstream as a hormone, and it also goes into the autonomic nervous system. And it's an extremely strong bonding chemical. So that even in sex, that, that two people bond more and more with each other. The more they hold hands, the more they cuddle, the more they talk nicely to each other, et cetera. So oxytocin is powerful. But let's talk more about this dopamine thing. Yeah. Because that's where the real interest comes from most people. It's fascinating. So dopamine is the opposite of serotonin. So people have probably heard these two, especially in the past couple of months or years. They have become more popular in pop psychology. So serotonin is the calming chemical. And actually serotonin is what further down the line. So I believe the precursor to serotonin is going to be tryptophan and the postcursor to serotonin is going to be melatonin. So this is what actually leads us to be able to sleep every single night. One way that you can get more serotonin into your body is actually by seeing sunlight early in the morning and it's connected to our circadian rhythm as well. So there's a lot that serotonin does to regulate us in many different ways. Also, the majority of serotonin receptors that we have are in our gut. Fascinating. All right. There's definitely a mind-gut connection. Definitely a mind-gut connection. So when we talk about falling madly in love, or sometimes you'll hear us in talking about limerence, but when people begin to fall in love in this In this process, we typically see that serotonin is going to go down. They're no longer feeling calm. Dopamine is going to go up because they are highly anticipating this relationship, being with this person. It's all they want to think about. Even when we think about all the things about limerence, right? You're thinking about the person 80 to 85% of your waking hours. You're not able to eat as much because all you want to do is be with this person. You have... Uh, you're all you just want to be with them again it's anticipation and we also know that limerence fades out over a period of time 
because at some point dopamine is going to achieve what it feels like it wanted to achieve and it's going to go down, which is not a bad thing for a relationship, but for the chemicals in our body, we want dopamine wants to have something to achieve. And so it doesn't dopamine just doesn't just increase for relationships. This is what drives us to crave pleasurable foods. It's what drives us to achieve goals. It's what drives us to do anything that we want to anticipate. Dopamine is the driving force behind it. So as I'm grilling that steak and it's sizzling, it's the anticipation that gets me all uh, salivating, et cetera. And if a couple is dating, the anticipation of the date, as you go through the day and get closer to the time, actually builds and builds the dopamine. And during the date, dopamine kind of settles down because you're there. Right. And so in an affair, then dopamine gets very high and people get very excited when they're anticipating the tryst. Yes. I'm going to meet you at this certain place and I know what's going to happen there. Or at least I expect what's going to happen there. And in, in that process is what makes it so blooming powerful. Mm-hmm. But serotonin, there's kind of a negative when serotonin starts decreasing. It does increase passion. There's no doubt about it. But it also decreases, increases, a lack of serotonin increases fear, worry, yes, even depression. And that's why they're called SSRIs, serotonin or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, because it's trying to get more serotonin into your brain so that you can think clearer and make smarter decisions. So dopamine is not the chemical of wisdom. No. It is the chemical of, of anticipating pleasure, anticipating pleasure, which is not always going to be the smart thing to do. That's right. And but furthermore, when you think about it, so in in a relationship, you're excited for the first date, you're excited for the first kiss, you're excited to get engaged, you're excited to get married, you're excited to sleep together. So these are the things that keep the dopamine high. But then after you get married and get into that habituated state, you stop anticipating things. That's not necessarily it's not necessarily a bad thing, but unless you're actively doing things in the relationship together to keep anticipating the future, like having goals that you're working towards as a married couple, which is one of the things we teach about in our workshop, then then your your mind, the chemicals are going to start wanting something to anticipate. And that's when people start saying, oh, I'm not happy anymore. Or I miss the firefly, you know, the butterflies from when we were first dating. They're talking about that that dopamine feeling. And so that's why in the affairs, when when they're when it's all in secret and you know they're slowly moving down the physical part of things well even if they become totally physical if they're not living together they're still able to anticipate that mm-hmm. well once they live together it's about being able to be married and they're anticipating that but then once all of that happens again dopamine's going to fall out at some point what are you going to do once it's fallen out which has led many people as you just said a few minutes ago to begin to think they're not happy in their marriages because They enjoyed the dopamine high. Mm -hmm. They are led to believe by our culture, Mm -hmm. our media, our movies, everything else, that it's supposed to be like that all the time. Mm -hmm. Actually, had a lady ask me just yesterday. She said, my husband's having an affair. He's apparently in limerence, which is a high dopamine state, with another woman. How can I compete with that? And I said, you cannot. Because of the fact that he has a relationship with you and has had a relationship with you. There's not that anticipatory thing that you talk about. And I said, don't try to compete with that because you can't. Mm -hmm. And people who think marriage is always going to be that exciting and that fulfilling, 
are the ones that wind up in trouble because of the fact they'll keep chasing that high in different ways, if not with a different person, with a different lifestyle or a fantasy they're pursuing or a dream they're trying to fulfill, again, all anticipating. And until we come to the realization that, okay, life isn't always going to be that exciting, then we're probably going to miss out on the real depths of a relationship. Because as you said, now we still want some dopamine. And mm-hmm. so if, uh, uh, if the wife, for example, plans a special evening with her husband, new lingerie, et cetera, et cetera, then that can actually increase her dopamine just by anticipating that evening. That's right. Right. That's right. However, mm-hmm. the other part about this is that if you have an anticipation and things do not go the way that you anticipated them to happen, the hit that that takes with the chemicals in your brain it is worse than if you had never tried to achieve that thing in the first place. So let's use the example of ice cream here. So if I tell my kids we're going to go get ice cream after school today and then something happens and we can't go, they will bottom out to worse than they felt before they had ever known that ice cream was an option. It would have been better to never tell them ice cream was an option. So when you relate that, and I think this is where people start getting really unhappy in their marriages Mm -hmm. because they anticipate it's going to go this way. And then when it falls short of that, it is so much worse. And and then to try and get back to wanting to anticipate about that thing again is harder to do. It's it's making me think of this thing that actually happened. A couple of came to our workshop. She told a story that uh, he was out of town for a week on a business trip. She farmed out the kids for the night he's coming mm-hmm. back. She knew about what time he'd be pulling into the garage. She went to Victoria's Secret and apparently found out what the secret was. And she got a new outfit. She spread rose petals from the door just inside the garage all the way up the stairs, all the way into the bedroom. And She, she was did this for him. For him. And so she's <laughs> sitting on the middle of the bed in that new lingerie, rose petals all around her. He, being what we call a calculator, came in, opened the door, saw her there. And the first thing he said was, Who's going to clean up all this mess? Oh, my gosh. And so what you're just saying is that then that became a big negative experience Huge. for her. Huge. And I wish right now I could remember exactly what happens with the chemicals. But it's not just a bottoming out of dopamine. Like, the levels drop to way lower than they were even just before standard, which then you're, the chemicals in your brain are like, this can't happen. So that... <laughs> It's such a terrible situation to be in. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that, exactly. Uh, they say that actually happened. I mean, uh, he, he confirmed it. It occurred. It's similar to, it's different, but this is why addictions, drug addicts, like dopamine is the high. It's the same high that they get, that anticipatory place. Mm-hmm. And it's the thing. And some people are way more, not susceptible, but sensitive to dopamine than other people. And so that can play into how much dopamine seeking activities someone engages in. But I just finished Matthew Perry's autobiography where he opened up about being a huge drug addict. And he just talks about how he woke up, he was taking 55 pills a day and it was every day. How do I get those 55 pills? Like that's all you think about. Mm -hmm. And when it bottoms out, it you crave it even more. So relate this back to marriage. If you're bo- if you have this anticipation about how your marriage is going to be or how things are going to go and it bottoms out to lower like lowering your dopamine levels below what they should be, you're still going to crave that thing you didn't get, but you may not crave it with your spouse anymore. 
You may crave it with someone else. That's huh? right. This is where it starts to get really, really bad. Okay. So a couple of suggestions here, if we may. First of all, if there's certain things you anticipate that you really get excited about, make sure your spouse knows what that is. Because sometimes it can exist only in your mind. You get all excited about it, anticipating that your spouse is going to do blank, whatever blank is, or participate in blank, whatever blank is. And, and the spouse has no awareness of that. And then when you get that anticipation, you get to that experience and your spouse reacts in a totally different way. So while you might be thinking, I'd rather it be a surprise, you can still make it a surprise as long as you can somehow assure the fact that your spouse is going to react hopefully, in the way that you want. Now, if you do that, you can continue to have dopamine, although it probably won't be as intense as it was when you were first getting together, right? Right. Just like with, that's the thing about dopamine. Once it experiences something new, that is its height. And so the anticipation, you're always trying to chase that first hit. And drug addicts will understand that more than the rest of us. Mm -hmm. You're always trying to chase that first hit, but nothing is going to ever come quite close. Nothing ever matches it. Now, the difference is going to be, are you going to give yourself over to only letting dopamine rule your life? Mm -hmm. And that's where, again, we said this is not the chemical of wisdom. No. <laughs> so, no. So this is where self-regulation has to come in. Right. Now, if you need something to help you with your serotonin, then your physician can prescribe an SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. But if you get that, such as Prozac, Zoloft, I mean, there's a whole bunch of those different brand names. If you do that, you may also want to ask your physician for another prescription to offset some of how that SSRI will decrease your libido. So, but they can give you two medicines together to kind of help you not decrease the libido. And then as much as possible, the two of you try to plan things that you both would be excited about, that you both can anticipate. And some of that can even be a surprise. So Kimberly, how can we help them with that? Yes, absolutely. So just first of all, to reiterate, we are not medical doctors. You should <laughs> definitely take any, any recommendations of pharmacological use substances yeah, up we with don't, a medical we don't doctor. Prescribe, right. We do not prescribe. And that is to protect you as well as ourselves. So there's that. I before we move on to how best we can help, I also want to say some there are some very natural ways that you can increase serotonin as well. And it starts with what I said earlier. When you wake up in the morning, get outside, get some sunlight, eat healthier foods, because we know that serotonin can in some ways start in our gut. And so eating foods that can help increase serotonin, I believe you can look it up on Google, but I think it's probably spinach and the things that everyone loves to eat, but also getting really good sleep. So sleep, again, it's setting that circadian rhythm. It's helping to set our serotonin. And we know that we also sleep better when we have more serotonin, which also can help us make more logical decisions. So those are some non-pharmacological interventions that can be used. The best ways that we can help in, if you listen to this and you thought, man, this is like the chemical part of this is fascinating, but our relationship is struggling and we need help on how to get back on the right track, then please check out our three-day turnaround marriage workshops that we have. You can go to marriagehelper.com slash workshop to find out more information. But if you're sitting here and thinking, you know what? We're really just needing more passion in our romance. Our marriage isn't on the brink of, is not on the brink of divorce, but we just need to connect more sexually and in our intimacy. Then we have something for you. We have an online course, which Dr. Joe did actually 
and it took a lot of his PhD research that he did in the realm of sexology and turned it into a 12 part video series that works that walks couples through how they can actually have a better sex life. So you can find out more about that by going to marriagehelper.com slash spark. Yeah. Uh, seven and a half hours of videos through those 12 sessions and a lot of PDFs that you download, for example, measuring your own sexual compatibility with each other, learning how to figure out new things to do that you both would find exciting uh, and therefore getting the anticipation. All of those are built into that. And so sometimes I'll actually say on those videos, stop the video, fill out the PDF, each of you come back and I'll tell you what your scores mean. And so it's, it's got a lot of information in it and can really help you rejuvenate and find those new and exciting things to do, even if you've been married 50 years or more, especially if you've been married 50 years or more, but all the way in between. So thank you for being part of Relationship Radio. We have more things to talk about in this fifth season. We'll see you on the next session.